last series, we had the, the table series starting the new year. Like that was a very fun series for me to, to preach. Like I enjoyed that. Uh, this series we're, we're starting called Save the Date. Um, it's not so fun for me to preach, but, but, but I think it's necessary. Like I think there, there are some things that, that we have to address about marriage and relationships in the church that if we don't address them from, from time to time, uh, we kind of end up in the world where we're at today, where people don't understand relationships and they don't understand uh, marriage and, and the family structure is, is falling apart. Uh, so while, while this is not a, a real fun series for me to preach, like I'm going to do my best to make it fun because it's awkward. Like we're going to talk about some things, especially today, that, man, I wish I would have gave Seth or Todd this sermon to preach <laughs> um, because it's just kind of awkward. But um, because I'm the one that gets paid the big bucks, I guess, I've got to be the one to preach it. But how many of you know that marriage can be a blessing when it's a blessing? Yeah, like, like raise your hand. Like, if you're online, you can type that in the comment section. Like, yeah, marriage can be a blessing. Like, marriage is a blessing when it's a blessing. But how many of you know that marriage is not a blessing when it's not a blessing? I was going to tell you not to raise your hand and don't elbow the person next to you, but you guys did anyway. Like, that's, that's great. Like, marriage is great when it is. But man, it can be painful and complicated when it's not a blessing. And this isn't just my opinion. Scripture actually, actually says this. Um, it's very close to it. And Proverbs 18.22 says this, the man who finds a wife finds what is good and receives favor from the Lord. Man, marriage is a blessing when it's a blessing. But Proverbs 27.15 shows us that it's not always a blessing. It says, a quarrelsome wife is like the dripping of a leaky roof in a rainstorm. Drip, drip, drip. It can be painful. And just so that I can be an equal gender offender and not just offend women, 1 Josh 4.9 says this, it's better to pass a kidney stone than marry a man who's a self-centered narcissist. <laughs> I guess somebody's looking for 1 Josh. I'm like, that's just like, I put that in, that's me. Like, it's not really in the Bible. I may, I... But marriage is a blessing when it's a blessing, but, it, but it's complicated and can be painful when it's not a blessing. So we're starting this series called Save the Date, and I have three specific goals. And my first goal is this, is, is if you're not married... That we'll, and we'll talk more about that next week. Scripture says that singleness can actually be a gift. And if you're not married, we want to see how can you not be married and honor God uh, in that way. And if you're like dating, and my goal is to help you uh, in a way that, that when you're dating, that, that your, your relationship that you're in currently uh, can honor God. And if you're married, we want to talk about how your marriage can, can honor God. So we're going to answer some, some very specific questions throughout this series that, that many people are asking. For one, the, the most common question that, that I think people ask is, how do I find the right person? Like, where do I go? What do I do? Like, do I go to church and scan the crowd for the person that's worshiping with their hand raised? It doesn't have a ring on it. Like, like do, I, do I swipe the app? Do I like go to a coffee shop and, and do a devotion, have my Bible open, some highlighters sitting there and just hope someone will come up and say, oh, you're a Christian too. Like, like, like what do I do? How, do? how do I find the right person? But, but we're not even gonna answer that question 
Because I think there's a better, more important question to, to answer. Um, and that is, how do I become the right person? Because so often, like, we generally attract who we are, not what we want. Like, m- most of the time, that's what we attract. We attract people who are like us more than the people that we want to be like. And we're going to talk about some of those qualities next week that you need to develop before you marry. Um, but today, like, we're going to talk about something that I think is, is more foundational and more important than those things. And, and that is, what is a Christian marriage? Like, what does marriage supposed to look like? And we want to, to, to define that. And that matters because how you define uh, marriage uh, really affects the way that you see relationships. How you see marriage shapes the way that you view every relationship that you have. So it's incredibly important for us as followers of Christ to view marriage the way that he viewed marriage and to take that on on ourselves. And the challenge is today that a lot of people simply see marriage as a contract. Like it's a contract between two consenting adults, Many people say, well, you get, you get married in a church and the pastor does this ceremony and then you simply sign the contract at the end of the ceremony and you may get a cute little picture and you're, you're signing it. Or you might go to the justice of the peace and, uh, and he performs the ceremony and, and at the end when he's done, you sign the contract. Or maybe even if you get married by Elvis in Las Vegas, like it's the same thing. He does the ceremony and you sign a, a contract. So most people would say that marriage is simply a contract. It's a legal agreement between two consenting adults. But according to Scripture, marriage is way, way more than than just a legal contract. In fact, in in Matthew 19, 4, Jesus is quoting back to Genesis 1, and he says this, haven't you read? There was a question that, that was proposed to him about marriage and divorce, and he said this, he said, haven't you read that at the beginning, the creator made them male and female and said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and will be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Like marriage was, was ordained by God. And it's not just a contract. Because when you think about it, what is a, what is a contract based on? Like a contract, uh, honestly, is based on, like you sign a contract, it's based on mutual distrust. Like it is. Like we, we can't just give our word, so we have to sign a contract. If you got somebody coming over to do some, some work at your house, and the contractor's like, hey, you're going to sign a contract because I don't trust you that when my work gets done that, that you're going to pay me. Or you want to sign a contract because you're saying I'm not paying you until the work gets done. It's based on mutual distrust. So what you're saying is I'm trying to protect my rights and my responsibilities when, when I sign a contract. Like, I, I want to make sure you do what you said you were going to do. So therefore, a lot of people say, well, if marriage is only a contract, if it's just a piece of paper, then why would I even never bother getting married? And it's a very common question, and I think it's a fair question if you're defining marriage as a contract. Like, why even bother? If it's just a contract, we might, as well, we might as well just live together, which again is becoming way, way more common today. In fact, I've been married to Jennifer for 27 years. 15 of them have been good. <laughs> but 
And it's a blessing to one of them. <laughs> um, and it's a blessing to be married to her. But we, we became friends probably around 1989, 1990. I don't remember the exact year that we actually became friends. But in 1990, so, so about the same time we've been married, Pew Research did a study to see the difference between couples then and couples in 2019. And in that time period, um, those who married, the percentage went way, way down. Those who lived together, the, the percentage of adults um, went, went way, way up. Like those who, who cohabitate, like the, the, the numbers skyrocketed. And in according to the National Center for Family and Marriage Research, 80% of teenagers today expect to cohabitate with someone else. Like, so our children, like, and I've got three of them, or two of them that are not married, but, but well, our children are thinking, like 80% of them are thinking, you know what, like, I'm not even gonna get married. What I'm gonna do is we're just gonna cohabitate. We're just going to, to, to live together. And which, honestly, I don't blame them. I mean, it sounds like a decent plan. If marriage is just a piece of paper and, and it's just a, a contract, like you can, split the po- you can split the responsibilities and enjoy the benefits. You can cut your rent in half. You can share your Netflix account, glory to God. Like you save money, you split the chores, you share the bed, bonga bonga, like whatever, like I don't know. But it just seems in our mind to make complete sense. Like the problem is that studies show that cohabitation actually decreases the odds of relational success. Like it doesn't work as well as you would think it would work. Even though it seems to make sense if marriage is just a contract, if it's just a piece of paper, and it seems like, like researchers call it actually, the, there's, there's a term for it, the cohabitation inertia effect. And what happens is they say that instead of intentionally um, joining into this commitment or intentionally deciding to be more commit, committed, what you do is you just kind of slide into commitment. You might slide into, hey, how, how about we live together? It makes sense. It's a little bit cheaper. We'll co-sign on this apartment or this house, and, and we'll slide into that. And then we think, well, man, we should just share the, the same phone plan because it saves a little bit of money. And you just kind of slide into that. And someone says, hey, let's get a, a, a puppy. And you're not really committed, but you got a puppy. And then one day, like, you're like, whose puppy is it? And then if you're not careful, that puppy becomes a baby, and you're, you're all tangled up in this person that you're not really truly committed to. And you've kind of slid into this commitment. And what that does is it increases the pressure on the relationship because you're not fully committed to that person and then you kind of feel stuck because you have this house and this apartment and this phone plan and this puppy and this little alien human that's living with you now. And you feel stuck and you feel like, I I don't know. And, And there's pressure. And it kind of made sense on paper but the odds really go down. Or, or maybe you're not even living together, like you haven't moved in, but you know, they share a, they have a drawer at your house or, or your place, and, or she has a drawer at your place, and there's a toothbrush there, and, and you're just kind of playing house, and you're, you're playing like you're, you're married, and when things don't go well, what happens is you break up, and, and you're essentially practicing divorce. You see, it's, when you get married, it's not just a contractual agreement. If things don't go well, like in marriage, it's different. 
And perhaps one of the reasons that so many marriages fail today is that they're, they're not working today. And listen, this isn't meant to be judgmental at all. Like, it's not. But how you see marriage profoundly defines how you view relationships in general. And that's what I want to try to show you today is uh, that as Christian marriage is not just a contract, but it's actually a very holy covenant before God. Because while a contract is based on, on mutual distrust, a covenant is based on a mutual commitment before a holy God. In the Old Testament, the word that is, is translated covenant is the word bereith, B-E-R-I-T-H. And it literally means a cutting. Like you think about the New Testament, the covenant, we, we just had communion and, and Todd explained that for us. Like the, Jesus said he came to bring a new covenant. And that new covenant was that Jesus would shed his blood for our sins. So there's a cutting. There was, there was blood so that we could be forgiven. And, and it wasn't a contract. It was, a, it was very different. It was a covenant. And I'm going to give you a, a graphic a- example. And again, this is, this is the part where it's not real comfortable for me. Um, and, and this is the reason why I had Kyle say, hey, if you've got kids that need to be in children's church, you probably want to get them there. Um, but in the Old Testament, in a Hebrew wedding, um, what they would often do is they would, the bride and the groom, they would stand before the priest, um, and they would say their vows, and then they would go into what is called a chupa, C-H-U-P-P-A-H. Um, and it was the, a, a bridal chamber. And like, try to imagine this, because it's weird. Like, the Old Testament people are weird. Like, so they would go into this chupa, which was like four posts, and it had some, some drapes around it so that nobody could see, but everybody's kind of outside, and they're partying, and they're celebrating these people, and the virgin groom would go in with the virgin bride, and they would do what married people now do while everybody else is out here just partying and, and having a great time. And when that happened, like when they consummated the marriage, there would be a, a shedding of blood. And oftentimes what they would do is they would take some of that blood and put it on a cloth and they would put it on the, the, one of the posts of the chupa saying that these people are now one. And there would be even more celebration and, and more partying, which is weird, but they're saying these two people now have become one flesh. And what God joined together, this holy covenant, this thing that's marked by blood, no one can separate that. It's a holy, righteous covenant and commitment before a holy and righteous God. Like the way they'd make a covenant in, in, in business dealings was if, if you made a covenant with someone, you made a, a partnership with someone, is that they would take a bull and they would cut it in half. And the two parties would walk through the center of that bull saying seven times, saying, if, if I break this agreement, may, may what happened to me uh, I'll be what happened to that bull. That I'd be cut in half. You rip me apart. If I don't live up to my end of the deal, may that happen to me. It's a final commitment. Yes, I, I promise to be faithful for the rest of my life. Speaking of sex, since you brought it up, let's talk about that. It's been said, maybe you've heard this, that, that men think about sex every seven seconds. Like I did some math on that. That's 514 times an hour. Some of you are going, that sounds about right. Um, but it's not, actually, it's not right at all. Um, according to a, a very um, respected study, men think about sex about 19 times a day. Like, like 19 times a day. How often do you think women think about sex? 
The answer, I'm going to tell you because I don't want you to guess and get it wrong. The answer is that women think about sex 10 times a day. Usually nine times they're saying no. But, um, <laughs> but, but if men think about sex 19 times a day and women only think about it 10 times a day, it raises the question, what else are women thinking about? And the answer is they're thinking about food. Women think about food 15 times a day. Like, so, so if you're tracking, let me just so everybody knows where, where everything ranks, women think about food more than they think about sex, and men think about sex more than women think about food. Like, so that's kind of how it all comes together. <sighs> See, this is so awkward for me. <clears throat> but I do it because I love you. Um, so the question really is this, is how do we live with sexual integrity in a culture of sexual brokenness? And the answer to that question is we have to remember, like it kind of depends, depends on how you define marriage, of how you view this, this relationship. Is it a contract or is it a covenant? Because uh, how you see marriage shapes not only how you view relationships, but it shapes how you view sex and how you approach sex. So what do we know about marriage according to Scripture? Scripture teaches us that Christian marriage is a covenant between a man and a woman for life. Hebrews 13.4 says that marriage should be honored by all. So if you're single, marriage should be honored by you. If you're married, marriage should be honored by you. It says, and the marriage bed should be kept pure. It should be undefiled. Scripture teaches us that the only kind of of God-honoring sex is sex within the context of covenant marriage. And you say, wow, that doesn't leave a lot of options, right? Meaning, Meaning if you're dating, like what is it that we can do? Like what is it that we can do sexually? And that's a question that I've had to answer in my own life when Jennifer and I were dating. It's a question that I've had to answer for a countless number of, of teens and, and college students as I was doing youth ministry in my life. It's a, a question that I have to, to answer oftentimes with, with people who are, are, are entering into a new relationship, whether they be 30, 40, 50 years old. And I'm going to be honest, there isn't a lot on the list Like, there's not much on the list because the scripture teaches us this principle in Ephesians 5.3. It says this, but among you, there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed because these are improper for God's holy people. That's God's standard. Must not even be a hint because sex was meant to be holy. It's reserved for the intimacy of a, of a covenant marriage. And because it's so holy, because it's so intimate, because it's so righteous, because it's, it's so pure, he, Paul said there shouldn't even be a hint of sexual immorality. And so what would that mean? Like what would be out of balance for that? Certainly adultery, right? Because there's more than a, a hint there. Uh, what about premarital, premarital sex? Well, I think that there's more than a hint there. That's not something we need to be, we need to be doing. Well, what about like, you know, just like not going all the way, but kind of going there, like, right, that's a hint. Listen, when you take the standards, like it gets ridiculously high. 
You could make an argument, I could make an argument that, that even crude sexual jokes might be a hint of sexual immorality. You could suggest that dressing immodestly could be a hint of sexual immorality. Now listen, and I'm picking on everybody here. I'm picking on everybody here. Jesus is the one that said, if you even just look at a woman lustfully, like you committed adultery in your heart, the standard is incredibly high. So high that this is what I can guarantee, is that none of you have kept it, and neither have I. And what it reveals to us is a desperate need for all of us for Christ and a desperate need for grace in our lives. Like, that's why the standard's so high. It's not about condemnation or or judgment because we would all be there. It's about an equal need for the forgiveness of God and the power of God that enables us to live a life that is pleasing to God because apart from him, we cannot do it. So you might say, but dang, like me, like, um, I got my needs. It's like 2023. Uh, you know, you just, you just outdated and stuff. God is such a prude. Like, he doesn't understand the times. Listen, God's not a prude at all. In fact, God is very pro-sex. Nobody said amen to that. <laughs> You're all just sitting there like, I can't believe he's talking about this stuff. We don't do that in church. Yes, like, here we do. Like, God is very pro-sex. God created sex. The problem is that sometimes unknowingly in the church world, what we do with sex is we say, like, sex is bad. It's bad. If you're a teenager, you're growing up, sex is bad. Don't do it. Stay away from it. Run away from it. And then we say, hey, but once you get married, it's good. No, it's good all along. But you take it outside of the context that God created it for and the relationship that God created for, then it goes bad. I've heard it described as a fire. Like a fire in a fireplace is really good. But you take a fire outside of a fireplace, it's destructive. And it's the same with sex. Like, and we're raised in a generation, and, and I was raised in that generation of sex is bad, 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 bad. And, and, it's good, and then it's good once you get married. It's not, a, it's not a light switch. And God's not always saying, hey, no, 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 no. What God's saying is, hey, wait, 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 wait. Because in this context, it's so much better than you could ever imagine. It's so much better than that. He's not saying no, or he's not putting these rules into place um, to to, to ruin your fun. He's putting those rules into place and those things into place because he loves you and he's trying to protect you. And some of you, you've experienced the pain and the hurt from sex outside of that relationship. You're carrying around emotional baggage from, from sexual sin that was 30 years ago. And God's saying, hey, you said, like, I wanted you to wait not to ruin your fun, but to protect you because I love you. And I don't know where you're at today. And some of maybe some of you are going, man, like maybe I'm in this relationship right now and the, the way we're doing, it's not really God honoring. So, so what do we do? And what I want you to hear today more than anything, because this is a hard message to preach, I know it's a hard message to hear, is that there is no condemnation. Like the Bible tells us that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So I don't want you to feel condemned today. That's not the goal. But I do wanna know if you feel a little bit convicted, that's the loving presence of God leading you to something better. It's him saying, hey, I've got something way better for you 
right now. So, so what do you do? Well, maybe together you, you apologize to God. Like, what, what a great thing to say, hey, God, we messed up. Would you, would you please forgive us? Would you, would you direct us? And kind of let God change you. You can maybe stop doing some things that, that you're doing or, or may decide that it may be uh, expensive and costly to, to do this relationship the, the right way. But you know what? We're gonna do it because it, it matters. Or maybe you're, you're in a relationship and say, you know what? We're, we're committed. Let's just go ahead and make this a, a covenant relationship and a covenant uh, marriage between us and God. And you do that right now. Maybe you recognize you're, you're incredibly unequally yoked with someone and you're not gonna stay in that relationship any longer because you're not gonna settle for something less than, than God's best for your life. Maybe you're not even dating anybody right now, but one day you wanna have a godly relationship and this may change how you view marriage. You may see it as a holy covenant between two people that brings God uh, together and blesses them for, for life. And because you see marriage as a covenant, that might change how you approach relationships. And so instead of doing like, like most other people do, like you're gonna get a little bit weird. You're, you're gonna be a bit different. And people will make fun of you. And, and, and I don't know about you, but like, like I, I, got a, I want a weird marriage. Like I got one, it's blessed, it's happy most of the time. Like I don't, I don't want normal. Normal is divorced, normal is broken, normal staying together for the sake of the kids. Like if you want something different, you gotta take a different approach. And God's approach is incredibly different. So you might change your approach. You might, you might be someone who, who lives in or you're, you're living in sexual brokenness right now. And emotionally and, and mentally, you wake up wrecked. What do you do? The good news is that, that anyone who's in Christ, Scripture says this, it's a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. And you're not just made new spiritually. Listen, you, you're, you're made new. Your emotions are renewed. Like I would say this, you can even be sexually renewed. And maybe today that, that's the, the, the decision you need to make to be in Christ. You might be married right now and you're going, well, dang, we didn't do it right when we were dating. And you might be looking at your marriage right now going, and we're not really doing it right in our marriage right now. So, so what do you do? Well, maybe you just join hands and, and you turn to God and say, God, would you just forgive us? And the answer is yes. And you just receive that forgiveness together. Maybe, maybe you're outside of Christ and together, you, like you choose to be baptized together and say, you know what, we're coming out a completely new people with a completely new marriage. Maybe you, you start a, a small group or a life group with some other people and say, you know what, we're just gonna start seeking God together. You might start getting crazy together and pray together. And when you pray together, you might start kissing more together. I can just let God do the work. Like I, like, I want you to know, and, and I want you to feel it. With God, because I know like, this is an area where, where so many people carry guilt and shame. I want you to know, with God, listen, there's always a second chance, and there's always a third chance, 
and there's always a fourth chance. His grace is absolutely amazing. There is no sin so great that the grace of God cannot cover. And I know for some of you, like you've been divorced and and for years, like the church has made you feel like a second-class citizen because you've been divorced. Listen, God's grace covers it. It it, it covers it, all of it. Today, I'm gonna ask you to stand. I don't know what decision you need to make. It may be a public decision that you wanna make and you wanna talk to to me or Seth or or Todd or someone in, in the band up here. I don't know, but my prayer is today that you view marriage very differently than you have. And it changes the way that you not only approach relationships, but it changes the way that you approach sex. Father God, today we come to you, every one of us in this room, every one of us watching online, God, knowing that we've blown it. There's not a person that I believe they could say that there's never been a hint of sexual immorality in their life. Father, it's a high standard, but it's a standard that shows us, God, that we need you. We need your grace, we need your forgiveness, and we're thankful so much that you made this new covenant, that there was a shedding of blood for us, that Jesus was willing to die for us and to pay for that sin. And I pray today, Father, all of the guilt, all of the shame, all of the, all of the junk and baggage that, that many of us have carried around for many years, God, I pray that it would just be gone because in Christ we are a new a creation. That in Christ there is no condemnation, there is no guilt, there is no shame. That in Christ that we have forgiveness and that we can leave here with a clean hand and with a clean heart, God, knowing that you are doing something great in our lives and in our relationships.